for individuals who uh, also had felt particularly ostracized from the church community. So we had, I think, two members of our 150-member congregation at that point who left the church. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and uh, we had, I, I know you heard from J.C. Cadwallader um, last week. J.C. was our interim associate pastor uh, for the last four years. And we had a couple members who left the church when we brought in J.C. Um, and she, I, I think, doesn't like to talk about the personal hurt herself, but it was shocking to me as a member of our congregation that individuals would be in the church and be surprised at our decision to hire an openly lesbian woman as an, as an associate pastor. Um, but when she spoke about it um, the first time, and she was not a single-issue speaker, so it was not uh, part of, uh, it, it's part of who she is. It's not the issue that she uh, presents to the world. Uh, I'll just say it that way. But when she did speak about that, um, we had a couple of fairly new members who I guess had not realized that we were a welcoming congregation in such a way, and they left the church. And this is within the last five years. So I was a little shocked at that myself. Um, and I'll come back to that. Um, I, I want to talk then about what being a more light church means because that, that we made the decision to be a more light church and I've been the chair of our local chapter. Um, the mission of more light Presbyterians I've written up here is to work for the full participation of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer people in the life, ministry, and witness of the Presbyterian Church and in society. So uh, as many mission statements, that's a very kind of broad, general statement. Um, what we, I became involved myself in the local chapter uh, when my then associate pastor um, suggested that Western as a more light church should be active, more actively involved in the local chapter than we had been. There's, there has been a board of directors, and the board of directors was seeking new members. And so the associate pastor asked me if I might be interested, and I said, sure, I'll go to a meeting once a month. <laughs> and, and then <laughs> the next year I became the chair of the board. And it has been, uh, for me, a wonderful experience getting to know congregations throughout this presbytery. I attended presbytery meetings for the first time and found that actually to be a, a fascinating experience and really rewarding. Um, and, and the type of conversations and engagement in the presbytery issues has been a big part of the time that I was involved in our local chapter because we had the vote on marriage equality um, the amendments to the Book of Order. Uh, and I know Chevy Chase was 
one of the most active uh, supporters in terms of bringing speakers to the presbytery floor when it came time to vote on that issue. Um, so I, I thank you for that work. I, our local chapter, um, we learned, is one of the few surviving local chapters of More Light Presbyterians. More Light has uh, over 200 member churches in the country. That actually seems like a small number to me. Um, I, I would expect more than that. But the member churches um, are one aspect of the membership. Individuals, I think, number uh, much higher in the tens of thousands. There are a lot of individual members who send with dues every year and become part of the mailing list and um, can participate as they choose in more light activities and educational opportunities. The, there used to be more, a, a larger number of local chapters, but I think, well, I don't know the reason that there aren't more, <laughs> so I shouldn't speculate about that. Our local chapter has um, 11 members now. I've listed those member churches here. And we added uh, Bethesda about five years ago, Capitol Hill, and United Christian Parish of Reston within the past two years. I was really, really proud of adding a church in Reston, Virginia to our membership, I have to say. Um, Oaklands and Rockville United joined within the past five to six years um, and have been very active members of our local chapter. And by, So what does that mean to be a, an active member or even a member of the local chapter? I, I'm going to talk about what that has meant historically and I'm going to talk about what that means going forward because those are two different things. We as an organization um, in the past years have, um, excuse me, tried to spearhead involvement across the presbytery in uh, different activities that are, some are educational activities for people to attend. For instance, here at Chevy Chase, we showed a film and invited people from throughout the presbytery to come watch that film and have discussion about it. Um, that was in maybe in like 2009. I don't remember exactly. I, um, I am going to pass around a list of different activities that we have engaged in. And I should have brought more copies. We, that film was called Thy Will Be Done. It was a film about a transgender pastor and her experience of it being a pastor in her church as she went through a pro a, the transition process from um, identifying as uh, biologically male to um, what she recognized as her identity as female. We have uh, shown other films that prompted discussion um, among our members. We hosted a speech or a presentation by a man named Mark Actemeyer, Dr. Mark Actemeyer, who's been a prominent in the Presbyterian Church 
initially as someone who was um, someone who opposed uh, the marriage equality changes within the church and who during the course of um, working on the issue and working at seminary uh, changed his position and became a, an active um, advocate for marriage equality. And so we hosted a uh, presentation by him as we led up to that vote within the presbytery. Um, we have uh, spearheaded the participation of churches and individual members in our pride parade and pride festival every year. And that's always been a focal point where we felt like it was important to be making a public statement that there are Presbyterian churches who want to actively proclaim that we welcome gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender people. That um, it, the church is so often associated with excluding people because of their sexual orientation or their gender identity. And we felt that it was part of our mission as a witness locally within this, the National Capital Presbytery to have a public presence that identifies at least a portion of our Presbyterian churches as open and welcoming. Um, we have hosted discussions at open space meetings at the Presbytery. We commissioned um, a Linton devotional series and encouraged our member churches to use that series during Lent to uh, focus specifically on what it means to be welcomed and welcoming to others. We have um, advocated, obviously, at the Presbytery when there are amendments, um, the, the gay marriage amendment to the Book of Order, um, and other issues that have uh, affected our, our issue areas. Um, I'll pass around this list. We placed ads in the Washington Blade uh, about four times a year, and I'll pass around a couple examples of that. Again, we felt that it was important to, as part of a witness, uh, uh, to make sure that we were reaching out in ways that were public, that identified Presbyterian churches in this community who were willing to make a public statement supportive of this community of people who have felt a particular uh, ostracism within the church. So I, I wanna talk about that briefly also. Uh, at around the time that I came on to the Open Doors board, we decided that we would participate in the Pride Festival, um, and one of the ways that we wanted to do that was to learn more about the community that we profess to advocate on behalf of. <laughs> we have, um, we, we wanted to see if we could figure out a way to lift up the voices of the people who have felt that their voice was not welcomed within the church. So we conducted a survey two years in a row, and I'll pass, I'll pass around this um, survey. It, the, it was a written survey that we presented at our Pride Festival booth, 
and this was the first year that I was involved in the organization. So I, I was coming in with a little bit of questions about, you know, how do I fit in this organization as an ally, not as someone who has professed a, a public, loud, witnessing voice. Um, how can I come to this with some humility that says, I want to know what your perspective is and what we as a church community can do to be, to live more open and welcoming. Not just say we are open and welcoming, but actually live that experience. I was blown away at the response to this survey. People came, um, and if you've ever been to the Pride Festival, it is a it is a chaotic, wonderful celebration. Um, but people came to our booth, and uh, not a lot of people, I will say. Th I think we ended up um, the first year with this, according to this, uh, maybe close to 50 responses. People were tearful. People described their experiences growing up and being told that they were no longer welcome in their church, that uh, they, the deepest hurt that they had experienced within their own family came from parents or family members who said, God does not condone this and you must change who you are. The amount of hurt that people had because of the church was astounding to me. It really opened my eyes to the way that people who have identified as loving, caring, God-focused people have inflicted a lot of hurt over a lot of years. Um, and so I felt at that time personally really called to be more actively involved in saying, uh, in making amends in some ways, in saying, oh, this is not the church that I want to be part of. And I want to do what I can to move the church to a different place and to provide a safe place for individuals who have felt that their religion is an important part of their identity, just as their sexual orientation or gender identity is an important part of who they are. I, I want those things to be in harmony within our churches. And so that's when I really became much more actively involved myself in, um, in the organization, the local organization. And um, so I'll pass around this survey. I, one of the other things that, yeah, yes, I'm going to, why don't you pass all of this? <laughs> and people can take a look and peruse as you want. One more. So 
this, of course, was uh, this survey we did in 2011. And uh, you know, if you've paid uh, any attention at all, that over the course of the five years between 2011 and 2016, we had tremendous changes in, in the general society and culture with respect to gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, um, welcome within the world in general, and <coughs> advancing rights of individuals. So that um, uh, we, I think, came to be a church, and now I'm going to go out on a limb here, we came to be a church that was actually kind of lagging behind some of the ways that society was changing its views with respect to sexuality and gender identity and sexual orientation. And um, I, to me, a lot of that, um, that disconnect between society and the church came to a head with our vote within the Presbyterian Church on marriage equality. And I, I am not advocating that the church should follow societal norms and, and morals, <laughs> so don't get me wrong about that. Um, but we did see um, that, that play out in the church around this um, marriage equality issue. We, I'm going to pass around the final thing is a program from a celebratory service that we did after that vote um, took place within the Presbyterian Church. Um, and it, there was one individual who spoke at that celebration service who said he attended the service and for the first time that he could remember in his adult life, he walked into a church where he felt like he was celebrated for who he was, all of who he was. And this is, an, this is an attorney who argues cases before the Supreme Court. This was a man who clearly stands on his own two feet with pride and uh, poise and professional accolades. And he said, I came into the church and finally felt like I could be myself in my entirety and be celebrated, not just welcome, celebrated as part of the wonderful diversity of the church. So the National More Light Organization, following these um, changes in church poli policy and um, the constitution of the church, the Book of Order, the National More Light Organization has tried to identify, well, wh where do we go from here? What's our mission now? Um, and has, I think, latched onto um, or identified a, um, an appropriate mission or, or focus going forward. And that is on this theme of celebrating our diversity, recognizing the uh, value that uh, people of many different backgrounds, um, races, economic status, sexual orientation, I, I, that all of these diverse individuals are part of our church community, are part of God's world. And we need to celebrate and welcome all of that diversity within our congregations. So how do we do that? And so National More Light is really focused on recognizing the ways that we share interests across different interest groups, 
Um, they've been hosting a series of podcasts recently about how um, church, church communities, church congregations might be more involved in racial um, equality issues, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, recognizing that people who have felt excluded and ostracized within the church community and within society in general share some common interests and that the church community is obligated, I would say, to try to address those issues, to try to recognize the, the grace that we have all received it is not, it's not discriminatory. I listened to a podcast recently and David Brooks quoted someone else, and I should be quoting who he quoted rather than him. <laughs> but um, he said, you know, I, part of our challenge is to recognize we each and every one of us has a God-given gift of grace, and none is different from any other in that sense. And I, I keep thinking about this in light of this election, um, but uh, it, it also, I think, is pertinent to this conversation that part of what we're trying to accomplish now is that recognition we all have a God-given gift of grace. And for many people in the gay and lesbian community, they've been taught for years and uh, have made part of their identity is that they are excluded from God's gift of grace. And that is for me, what our local organization um, and the National More Light um, organization have tried to combat, have tried to reverse that uh, feeling that the church is a place that is judging people. And instead, our church is a place that is celebrating. So uh, kind of in closing on that, I, I do think that this is a time that we can recognize that being an ally and identifying as an ally is important. Standing by and saying, I'm supportive, I, I, I don't want you to be hurt, and so when the time comes, I will step up. I, that's valuable. It's, it's important to be willing to step up when it's time to do so, but we need people who are willing to proclaim their alliance and to say, we are not ashamed ourselves and we are not afraid to say that we think the church, when we say welcoming and open to all, that means explicitly people of variety of sexual orientations and gender identities. So that's my that's my soapbox. <laughs> um, I, I'd like to hear questions. Yes. In the 80s, in this church, there was a group that was called the Women's Spirituality Group, and we'd get a, take a book and come once a month and talk about some chapter or the whole book. I can't remember. Um, at one point, we had 
a more light church come, uh, they were in Maryland, and I don't even remember what church it was. Um, and they talked to us about being a more light church. And we all said, this will not happen in this church. And then the next thing, I want to thank you for using the word humility. That is so, so important. Thank you. On that last note, I, I want to also describe one of the most rewarding experiences I had with these um, open space conversations. There was a pastor, and now I'm not going to remember his name, from a congregation in Virginia that was really struggling with the marriage equality decision. And it was a congregation that was, their struggle was about whether to leave the church in light of the decision that was made to change the Book of Order. And he and members of his congregation um, came to our presentation by Mark Actemeyer uh, and opened themselves to hearing uh, what Dr. Achtemeyer had to say about his own experience. Um, and they then partnered with Jeff Craybell from Church of the Pilgrims to host a series of what they called uncommonly grace-filled conversations for open space, where people at open space from our organization, Open Doors, um, and people from this congregation that was really struggling, tried to s sit down and recognize the commonalities, the ways that they were, we were all trying to live in what we felt was in accord with God's will for how the world should be and how people should interact. I mean, that's a very lofty statement, but on the subject of humility, I must say those uncommonly grace-filled conversations were a time that people talked in a very authentic way about their own struggles with it, what does this mean? It, where do we draw lines? How do we identify what it means to be a Christian when it seems that society is identifying what's right and wrong and politically correct. And, and they were really valuable conversations and something that I felt um, helped advance as a church the way that we should be interacting among ourselves. Yes, okay, I'll stop. Okay. <laughs> um, over the last year, our our session has made some decisions and then the congregation has kind of found out that, oh, well, what a surprise. And part of that's that the decisions involve personnel issues and, you know, they get very complicated because you can't advertise all the personnel issues until you make a decision. Uh, you indicated that you not only started out with some lectures, but then you had the congregation uh, as you said, uh, do a series of discussions within the church. Could you expand on that and also how the Bible may have been brought into the picture there too? What I remember from those conversations is that um, they were in response to the speakers who we had had. Uh, we then would host a conversation 
like the next Sunday where people could stay after church and talk about what the speaker had to say and how that made them feel. Uh, so that it was, it really was just conversations. We um, did have, we had a member of the church who had written a book about uh, the biology of sexual orientation. He spoke to us. We had, a, we did have a deliberate um, focus on where people use the biblical passages on both sides of the issue of inclusion and exclusion. Um, and we relied a lot on the, um, the General Assembly had published a, a study or a paper, I'm getting the words all wrong. Um, but they, uh, in light of the ordination um, struggle within the denomination, there was a, a, there's a thick packet where the Presbyterian Church General Assembly put out uh, whatever committee it was, has like a 50-page document that goes through the biblical passages and the underpinnings of the church's position on sexual orientation and also on marriage equality. So we had two Sunday school classes that focused on study of that, um, that document. I can follow up to get you the link to that if you want. Yeah, it, it seems like for a couple of decades or more the church has been discussing the sex typing of leadership roles. Um, and then there are other roles like being an usher that don't seem to be particularly sex typed. But we have some activities around the church that definitely are. We have women's circles, for instance, and there's a men's group and stuff like that. So in these churches, um, does becoming a more like congregation, has it changed any of these activities? I don't know in other churches. In my own church, no. <laughs> I would say no. Um, I do know that some of the active founders of our local chapter, uh, one of them in particular, Jean McKenzie, came from Westminster, D.C. congregation, and she came to the More Light movement in part out of her involvement as a woman minister at a time when women ministers were uh, not um, given equal opportunities within the, the church. So I, I don't know the answer, though, about how it's affected individual congregations. I really uh, welcome your underlying um, statement that all should be open our church community. I've been a member for a long time and I love this church. And the important part, in addition to, uh, to worship, is the people here that I think are very open and welcoming. It's just a really nice family to belong to. And I want everyone to belong to, to join in. I don't know why we don't get more in this time of isolation and alienation. But and uh, I really welcome the uh, advances the LGBT community has made, particularly rapidly in the last few years. Uh, not too rapidly for me because my daughter's gay, and uh, this is great. 
Um, but it's, it's mm, some people have some working through to do still on that. I have reservations about labeling our church as a um, more light church. Uh, I've never in all the years in belonging to this church seen one group singled out as we're going to welcome this group, but what does that mean about all the other groups? I think we are very welcoming to non-believers, believers, Republicans, Democrats, all socioeconomic groups, and to gays and lesbians, and we have been for years. But to label the group um, makes me uneasy. Um, for one thing, it even though not intended, it sounds a bit political. It sounds like, well, we're on the cutting edge of the progressive movement. Well, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I'm more of a moderate person. So this is my reservation. So I think as I answer this question, I am informed somewhat by the work I've done where people who have not been part of church communities have talked about their feeling coming into the church. And I, if, you, if you are in the position of someone who has been ostracized from the church community, has been condemned, or even uh, have heard experiences of others and you don't know where the church stands, the, the identification of church communities among the vast majority of people in the gay and lesbian community is that it is a place to be judged. That it is a negative experience. Church communities have been where, as I started out saying, some of the greatest hurt has been inflicted on people because of their sexual orientation. And so in that context, I think there is value in making an explicit statement. We are a church that identifies as welcoming people who are gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender, because it's not a given. For, for me, when I think, well, why do I need to adopt that label? I say I'm a Christian. It should go without saying that that means I am going to love you regardless of your race, economic status, sexual orientation, sinner, non-sinner. As a Christian, I am called to love all of those people as God would love all of us, right? But I, it, that's not self-evident to someone who doesn't have that understanding of what it means to be a Christian. And so I think making a statement is valuable in that context. So that's, I, I guess that's my, my quick response as we're running out of time. Yeah, um, among the materials you handed around, I was sort of struck by the testimonies at the back of the survey people who said how they'd felt alienated by, by the churches. Um, and I'd like to think that our church has always felt like we would not be 
one that would be subject to stories like that. But as, as some people in the church know, we, we do have incidents like that. We had one just in the last few weeks when a member of the church, uh, or a, a attendee of the church at least, uh, hmm? member, okay, I don't know, um, followed, followed someone uh, outside of the sanctuary uh, and specifically told them that they were not welcome here. Um, because they're gay. And I don't know if that was based on the fact that we're going through these sessions or that these discussions are happening um, at the church. That, that incident hasn't really been addressed much. I hope session will talk about it this week. Um, but I think that's why we need to consider doing this, to send a message to those people who have specifically been told by people in the church that they're not welcome um, and tell them that we think they are. Is there some metric to measure the success of your mission or lack of success other than anecdotal? Uh, uh, As a chair of the board, I measured success by the fact that we had, uh, what did I say, one, two, three, four, five, five new member churches join within the last five years. But I don't know that we can take credit for that, <laughs> really. Um, in the Presbytery, I don't know. There are over a hundred, I think. So we—it's ha- a small fraction of our Presbytery that has identified as more light. There, and this gets in also to conversation about the difference between more light and covenant network. We've had a, a lot of conversation about. Um, that because I, I think Chevy Chase has identified as a covenant network church. I, I'm not sure about that. Yes, um, and uh, we within the context, the spectrum of the organizations, um, More Light and Covenant Network really came together to advocate for the changes in the church uh, r- rules, the Book of Order and the um, interp- authoritative interpretations. But um, in terms of focus, I, I think more light has always identified as m- more concerned about advancing justice and fairness. And this might get to your issue of being, are we on the forefront of a progressive movement or are we uh, k- uh, kind of marching alongside? Um, we Covenant Network has really I f- been focused on maintaining the, I- the integrity of the church and working within the church structures to advance changes. Uh, that your congregation is going to have to figure out where you fall on that line. I, I know where I personally fall. Um, it, and that is that sitting quietly within your home or within your building and uh, pronouncing yourselves welcome and opening, um, it does not tell the world, it is not a witness to the world of that position. And there must be something about what you do that helps those who are not within the congregation and within the church to recognize that your vision of God's love and God's world is an inclusive vision and it's I don't 
it's hard for me to understand how you advance an inclusive picture of yourselves when you are kind of looking around the room at yourselves and, and saying this is who we are. Um, I, I think there's an important public acknowledgement of that that is, is part of our Christian obligation. But that's, I, I say, that's my own position. Does, should we do one more? It's been uh, five churches only over the last five years. Have there been many churches who have considered more life and rejected? Well, I assume there have been initiatives within churches. I would just thought you would have heard about some churches. Have there been any, to your knowledge, who have considered and said, not for us, and particularly in the last couple of years? I don't know specifically. I know that other congregations have approached us and had um, people come speak to them. Gaithersburg, um, Silver Spring has gone through a big transition within its church membership as that community has shifted some. Um, but I really, I, I don't know what other churches, um, how they're feeling about this. And, and I'm going to close, I guess, on this. Uh, going back to something I said earlier, I think that the ideal would be at some point being a member of National Capital Presbytery, being a member of the Presbyterian Church means that there is a recognition that there is space within this broader church community for people who are gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender. I, there are still congregations within our presbytery who are adamantly opposed to that kind of openness and welcoming. So we're a long way from the word Presbyterian Church being equivalent to open and welcoming to all. Um, and so it's in that context, I think, that More Light continues to exist and do its work. Um, so 